Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So we resume the Rashi Shir coming to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And we are find ourselves in Chodesh Elul. Hamelech Basadeh, the king is in the field. So now is the time to reconnect and use the advantage of this special time to make even greater connections to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And uh, one of the best ways to do that is through Torah. So we are in Perik Vav, Pasuk Yud Zayin. And we actually rushed to the end of this Pasuk last week. And I'm conscious we did the last few bits um, a bit too quickly. Rashi is explaining the word Mabul. And what we said last week is the word Mabul is hard to translate um, because it's not clear what the root, what the Shoresh is. And Rashi basically gives three versions. He doesn't list them as alternatives. There's no Devar Acher, which implies that he thinks they're all valid. They're all contained within the word Mabul. And Rashi says on the word Mabul, and I'll go through it a little bit quicker than I normally do because we did do it last week. Shabala et Hakol. It um, wore out everything, which is a, a way of bringing everything to an end, from the root bet lamad hay. Shabilbil et hakol, it confused, mixed up everything, from the root bet lamad bet lamad. Shahavil et hakol, and it brought everything, from the root bet yud lamad. Min lamuch, from the top to the bottom. And then he expounds on that idea a little bit more. And that's what Onkelos says, the third of the explanations. Shetargum Tefuna. He translates Mabul as Tefuna. Now, we normally translate that as flood, which, to be honest, is how we normally translate Mabul. But what is the idea of Tefuna? Shehetzif et hakol. It caused everything to uh, float along the water. Veheviam lebavel shehi akuma. And then Rashi tells us that it brought everything, this tafuna, which is the same as lahavil et hakol min gavol and amoch, take everything from the top to the bottom and jumble everything up like in some grand washing machine. And it all ended up in bavel, which is deep. So there's a midrash, which Rashi is alluding to here, um, which he says that all the um, uh, people who died, so all their bodies got washed up into bavel. Uh, why they went to Bavel, which is then the site of the Talmud Bavli, but before that it's the site of Migdal Bavel, is uh, for another discussion. But they all went to Bavel. Uh, he doesn't say there's a connection between the word Bavel and Mabul. Um, I wonder if he's hinting at that, but he doesn't say it. So they went to Bavel, which is deep, and that's the expression of Shahivil et hakol min agvol en amoch. It all ended up in the lowest place around, which is Bavel. And that's why Bavel is also called Shinar, as we will find out later in Pashat Lechlecha. Why? Actually, there's two versions. My book says Meite or Meimei. So it stirred up there. That's Shinar, same as Shinar. All the, either all the corpses from the Mabul or all the waters of the Mabul ended up in Bavel, which is the lowest place, which is the manifestation of Shehevil et Akol min Hagavol and Amoch. Okay, so we'll now go on to new territory in Pasuk Yudchet. So, where are we up to? Hashem has, this is all part of Hashem's instructions to Noach that began uh, in Pasuk Yud Gimel 
where he, Hashem said, the end of all flesh has come before me, therefore, you should make for yourself a teva, and then he described how it should be made, and then he says in Yud Zion, having said, the end of all flesh has come before me, he didn't say how, then he said, make a teva, because now in Yud Zion, I'm going to bring a mabul. And then he says in Yud Chet, Vahakimoti et briti itach. I will establish my covenant with you, uvata elateva, and you will come into the teva, ata uvanecha veishtacha uneshevanecha itach. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. So what is it? What does Rashi mean? Sorry, what does Hakadosh Baruch Hu mean? When he says, Vahakimoti et briti, I will establish my covenant. Now, a covenant is a big deal. We are Jews because Hashem gave a covenant to us or made a covenant with us. The covenant with us is we keep the Torah and Hashem looks after us and he brings us to Eretz Israel. Uh, he made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Noah after the Mabul. So a covenant is usually a big, big thing. And I'm setting it up because the covenant, according to Rashi, in this case, seems a little bit not quite so special. Because Rashi says on these words, Brit hayatzarich al haperot. It needed a covenant on the fruits, shalo yirkavu, that they should not rot, the afshu, and they shouldn't go bad. And another thing, the shalo yaharguhu rashayim shabador, and that the wicked people in that generation which incidentally is everyone by definition, just notice that, should not kill him, should not kill Noah. So this Brit is, and I'm, I'm setting up really the question on Rashi, but I'm going to suggest an answer, is not of the sort of Brit which Hashem makes with Abraham or with Noah after the Mabul or with B'nai Israel. It's the fruit won't go off. You know, it won't pass its sell-by date. Now, by the way, that's actually pretty important because how long were they in the Tabor for? Four days. A year. And uh, what did they eat? What, what didn't they eat? Animals, because that would have rather defeated the purpose of taking all the animals on board. And because until after the flooding weren't allowed to eat meat, so they had to eat vegetables. So it's a, actually it's a real problem. And they didn't have fridges. So it's actually quite important that Hashem makes a brit, but the fruit, which is the only food they've got, won't go off. But it is suggested, the answer to the conundrum that I'm trying to set up is the structure of Yudchet. Because the making the Brit is immediately followed by Uvata Elateva. I make a covenant with you, I establish a covenant with you, and you will go into the Teva, implying a connection between those two. But the Brit is a necessary condition for him going into the Teva. Now, what does he need to go into the Teva? He needs two things. Number two, I'll say it in this order, because this is Rashi's order, to stay alive. If he gets killed, he can't go into the Teva. And number one, he needs to know that they're going to survive in the Teva. If they don't have this guarantee that they'll have a food supply, and if you think about it, the only way they can have a food supply is if they promise that the fruit won't go off, then he won't be able to go into the Teva. He's not going to go into the Teva and on the basis he's going to starve there. So these are the things which are necessary for Uvata Elateva. And I think one could even suggest that the Vav of Uvata 
doesn't mean just and. It doesn't just imply a chronology. There'll be a Brit and then you'll go into the Teva. But it implies a causation. There'll be a Brit and therefore you'll be able to go into the Teva. I suggest that's how Rashi's seeing it. And that's why he says it's those two things which are required. Now, the, the Rashi makes a reference elsewhere to the Midrashic idea that the people wanted to kill him. Um, that's not in the text, but uh, it sort of makes sense. And it's, a, as I, the way I explained it, it's an essential precondition for going into the Teva, i.e. to be alive. But uh, the Pasuk does say in uh, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, so it's not the same Pasuk, true, but it's the same Indian, it's the same matter. Uh, you will take all the food which you're going to eat. That is part of the uvata ela teva. That's part of what you're going to take into the teva. Now, we'll talk about how the animals are going to come. There's also some divine assistance in that. But the one thing that I, I think that Rashi is saying that Noah needs to know as a guarantee, and that's what a covenant is, that when he takes the food, that food will survive for the time they're in the teva. And in this day and age, when we have a range of foods, and if we haven't got, if we haven't got any food, we just pop out the coals, which is open 24 hours. Um, and if we bring it home, we put it in the fridge. So we just don't worry about food going off. So if you're setting off on a journey in a year and there's absolutely no other supply of food, it's actually pretty important that the food doesn't go off. Okay, next comment of Rashi. And this is something which he mentions from time to time. If we get far enough tonight, we'll see he mentions it again. Ata uvanecha ishtacha. Rashi says, Ha'anashim levad v'hanashim levad. The men alone and the women alone. If you look carefully, the people are listed as you, Noach, male, and your sons, male, ve'ishtacha, and your wife, unishevanecha, and your sons' wives. Now, normally, if you're having a dinner party, you say you invite people by couples. So you and your wife, your sons and their wives, you might say it like that. Or you might say you and your wife, and Ham and his wife, and Yafet and his wife, and uh, Shem and his wife. Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't say it like that. It says you and your children, your sons, and your wife and their sons. Um, but actually, that's not the main point. That's not the main point. The main point is the contrast between how they're described when they go into the Teva and how they're described when they come out of the Teva. If you look at Perachet, Pasuk Tet Zion, we see the following... Say min ha teva. Come out from the teva. Ata ve ishtacha uvanecha unashevanecha. And this is a classic case. It's a really perfect example of Rashi notices the slight differences. This list is the same list. And it's written in a very similar fashion. And yet it's not quite the same. And that's exactly the sort of thing that Rashi will, I think, almost, I, I, I'm going to say, always uh, identify and will relate to and will explain. If you have two things which are similar but different, Rashi will explain the difference. So when they come out of the Teva, they're in groups of couples. When they go into the Teva, they're in separate gender groups. Why? Says Rashi, Mikan esru mita. From this, we see that they were forbidden to have sexual relations. Now, Rashi doesn't give a reason for that at this point, but he will a little bit later when there's another reference to the grouping as they go into the Teva. 
So we'll leave that till Rashi gets there. But Rashi is saying that the fact that they go in, men in one group and women in another group, is to say that Tashmishamita was forbidden to them. And Rashi feels he has to say that because of the contrast with the way Perakhet Pasuk Tetzayan lists the same group in almost the same way, but in a different way. Let's go on. Pasuk Yutet. Umikol hachai, mikol basar, from all living, from all flesh, shenayim mikol, two of all, tavi el hateva. You will bring to the teva, lachayot itach, to keep alive with you, zachar unakeva iyu, male and female they will be. Okay, says Rashi on the words mikol hachai, Afilu Shadim. What are Shadim? So Shadim are mentioned quite often actually in the Gemara as some sort of negative spirits, harmful spirits that are all around. Um, there's a superstition that you don't even say the word shade. Uh, I'm not a part of that superstition, so I say it. But you see sometimes in the, perhaps in more sort of Haredi circles, they just say Shin Dalad because they don't say the word shade um, because they're a little bit scary. What are they? I have no idea. I don't understand. Some people want to say it's what the Gemara calls germs, which is an interesting thought. I, I, I think that's pushing it a little bit, and I think that's assuming a little bit too much scientific knowledge on the part of Chazal, which is another controversial discussion, but we won't get there now. Um, but anyway, they're these spirits, if you like. And Rashi says, when it says, when we call hachai, from everything that's alive, that even includes shadim, which is very interesting. It means Noah is going around collecting animals and every member of the animal species and the insect species and the birds. And even he doesn't uh, forget to get the shadim, the negative spirits. Now, why does Rashi say this? So I saw a beautiful explanation, which suddenly is like so obvious, it hits at you in the face when you see it. Because the text says, Mikol hachai, Mikol basar, implying that there's a chai without basar. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to say both. If chai and basar were exactly equivalent, the Torah wouldn't need to say them both. So the fact that it says mikol hachai and it says mikol basar implies there are things which are living which don't have any physical form. And what are they? Shadim. Yes? Why were they required to be um, on the teva as if, like, they were because? Of the animals, as far as I understood, it was supposed to survive after um, the flood. So it's then saying that these shadim, these demon, like. I didn't use that word, by the way, but oh. I didn't use the word demon. Uh, the question is so why should the shadim be in the flood, be in the teva? Yeah. So you have to presuppose two things, um, which might, you might not have realized about shadim. Number one, if you leave them outside, they'll somehow die. So they've got some sort of lifespan. And number two, it's part of Hashem's plan for the world that they survive. And that's why we need to be in the Teva. Both of which are quite hard ideas, and both of which require much more explanation than I'm able to give. But uh, logically, you have to presuppose those two points. So I haven't really answered your question. But I'm saying it's a good question. But somehow, uh, based on this comment of Rashi, which comes from the Midrash, there's a need, A, there's a need to protect the Shadim, because otherwise somehow they won't carry on, and B, there's a need for them to carry on. Okay. Rav, when we say um, tabi, are we saying maybe it's not good enough? Um, are we saying um, Noah brought them, or they came to? Can we hold that thought? Okay. Says the next Rashi, Shanayim Mikol, Min Hapachot Shabahem, the least of them, Lo Patchu Mishnayim, not less than two. 
Now, why does Rashi have to say this? The animals came in two by two. Why does he just say two? So he says, from all the animals, not less than two. And the answer is because we know the animals didn't come in two by two. Because if you look at the next parak, parak Zion Pasuk Bet, says Hashem to Noach, Mikal habahema hatahora, tikach lecha shiva shiva. From all the behema hatahora, which we'll define a little bit later, you will take seven by seven. Ishve ishtov, male and female. Different way of describing male and female. And umin habahema asher and from the animals which are not tahor, I'll give it away. So Rashi understands, and most people understand, that behema tahara is a kosher animal. Behema shalotahara is a non-kosher animal. Shana'em ish ishto. Then you only get two. So you get seven by seven. By the way, it's not 100% clear if it's seven or seven pairs, but we'll assume it's seven pairs. From the kosher animals and two from the non-kosher animals. <coughs> so now we understand Rashi. Here in Vav Yotet, Shana'em Mikol, means the least of them not less than two some is 14 but no less than two and what do those two look like one male and one female why Russia needs to add that last comment I'm not 100% sure maybe leaves it a little bit unclear. Maybe you would think that it could be some, one species could be two males, one species could be two females, something could be one of each, because you could read it as, you'll bring all these animals, and there'll be some males and some females. And Rashi has to point out that within each species, it's one male and one female. I want to mention that the difference between Perik Vav and Perik Zion is something that the biblical critics, the so-called biblical critics, get excited about. And they suggest, these are the people who, uh, the, the, the uh, scientific study of the Chumash that started in the mid-19th century, that suggests that the, or the Chumash is written by different authors and clumsily stuck together. And in Perak Vav, there's one version of the flood story, and in Perak Zion, there's another version of the flood story, and there's a difference in the name of Hashem, but we'll leave that for a moment. And also, they point to this difference. Was it two by two, or was it seven by seven? Clearly, it must have been two authors. Why am I even mentioning this Apicosus, which I uh, have no time for? I'm always struck by how um, the whole theory is built on nothing, and built on sand, and it is built on questions which are supposedly unanswerable, unless you accept that there's different authors of the Torah, when those very questions were asked by Chazal, asked by Rashi, asked by all the Mephoshim, and answered very, very simply. So the, the biblical critics, and the reason I'm mentioning this, is just to, to point out the absurdity of they come along and say, ah, here it says two, here it says seven, must be a different author. Rashi has absolutely no problem. When it says two... We have to understand, because this is the way we read Torah. We read Torah as it being more than just a one-dimensional or even a two-dimensional, easy-to-understand text. We have to work at it a bit, and we have to see, well, there's a contrast between here and here, and let's sort it out. And that's called learning Torah. And Rashi says, when it says seven here and two here, the two means no less than two, but maybe more. Okay. Yes. So I just didn't understand Rashi's original question. Why, did, why was he commenting on Shnai and Mikol? Oh, because it says seven. So he's basically going ahead again and, and checking... Yes, yes, I'm sorry, I should have made that clear. So Rashi says, when it says two, it means no less than two. Okay, why does he say that? Because here it says seven. Okay. okay. Then, in Pasuk Kaf, 
I haven't forgotten your question, by the way. I'm coming to it. Meha of Luminehu. min ha behema lumina. From the bird to its species. From the animal to its species. Mikol remes ha adama. From all the creepy crawlies on the earth. Luminehu. To its species. Shanaim mikol. Two of all. Yavo elecha. Will come to you. Lachachiot. To stay alive. Now, what is Luminehu? So, in last week's Parsha, we had a list of kosher birds, or rather, we actually had a list of non kosher birds. And each one is Lumina. So, Orev, a raven, is not kosher. Lumina. What does Lumina mean in last week's Parsha? It means, and all the raven species, right? All relatives of ravens. Does that, is that what it means here? Well, let's see what Rashi says. Meha of Luminehu. Oton shedabku b'minehem. Those, we're talking about birds at this point, which clung to their species. Velo hashchitu darkam. And did not pervert their way. Now, um, we've seen that Hashem said, Petishachet ha'aretz lefnei alokim, ki hishchet kol basar. Yeah, I'm sorry, in Pasuk Yudbet, Ki hishchit kol basar, and Rashi, he actually commented on that, um, yeah, in Yudbet, he mentioned it in Yudalov, sorry, but he commented on Yudbet, the birds and the animals, they had relations with other species. Now, you can't call that a sin, because animals don't have a Yetzirah, they don't have a concept of right and wrong, but that is against Hashem's plan for the world. Hashem's plan for the world is that species stick with species and they don't crossbreed. And therefore, if they did crossbreed, that's called hashchata, that's called a, a perversion of all flesh. So it makes sense that the animals that are going to be saved are the ones who didn't do that. So, luminehu means the ones who stuck to their species. Completely different from what it meant in Parshat Rei and Parshat Shemini when it listed the animals that are kosher and the birds that are kosher, and each time it said lumina, uh, which meant the, the, that particular species. Why? Well, really because you can say a raven and its species, that means species raven. But you can't say meha of luminehu, species bird, because species bird is millions of different birds. If you meant species bird, it, it really doesn't make sense. There's no such thing as species bird. So therefore, meha of luminehu means something different. It also fits perfectly with what I just showed you, that Rashi says that Hashem's got a concern about animals that are not sticking to their species. So the ones that get saved in the Teva are the ones that did sp- stick to their species. Now then Rashi says something else. Um, the ba'u. And by themselves they came. The kol teva kolatato, and whichever the teva accepted, hichnisba, he brought into it, he being Noah. So, this comment of Rashi follows directly on from the previous comment of Rashi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the previous comment of Rashi said, the animals that are saved are the ones that stuck to their species and didn't interbreed. That raises an obvious question, which is, how can Noah spot which animals deserve to be saved? There is no way that Noah could know, not naturally, which animals fall into that category. 
So Rashi has to answer the question of how does Noach know? So Rashi says that they came by themselves. They came, Ba'u, they came. Um, and that also fits with the words in Pasuk Kaf, because it says, Mikol Yavau Elecha, they will come to you. So Rashi takes that word and fits it in with the way he already explained, Meha Aflaminehu Mibahema as to say, these animals, the ones that deserve saving because they stuck to their own species, they came by themselves. And if they weren't worthy, the Teva wouldn't allow them in. But notice Rashi is very, very clever. He last two words are hichnisba. Kolsha Teva Koletata, all the ones that the Teva accepted, or literally sort of absorbed, as in Merkaz Klita, then Noah brought in. Why? Hichnis, he brought in, that's Noah. Why does Rashi have to say he brought in? If they came by themselves and the Teva accepted them, that sounds like they walked in and like made themselves at home. Why does Noah have any role in that? And the answer is, because in Pasuk Yotet, it said, what verb? Tavi, which means you shall bring. So if it says in Kaf, Yavo, they will come by themselves. Then what's Noach doing bringing them in Pasuk Yotet? And Rashi's answered that. They will come by themselves and the Teva will like say, you can go and you can't go, but they won't actually go into the Teva. Noach takes the ones that have been approved by the Teva and brings them in. So by Rashi adding the word, Hichnisba, he's, Mikhaim, he's fulfilled the word Tavi in Yotet as well as the word yavo in kaf, which, by the way, are apparently contradictory. How could it be that he'll take them if they'll come by themselves? And Rashi's answered that. So it sounds like, although Rashi didn't say explicitly, they'll walk up to the entrance of the Teva and some sort of green light will flash to say, yes, they're allowed in. And then Noah is the one who actually brings them in. With that, though, it seems to be redundant by the Teva to have the green light. No, because that's how Noah knows which animals are suitable. But, but, but didn't we well, say that only the, animals would, only the animals that were fitting for the Teva would come in? Ah, good point. Um, it not, it's not quite clear. And I think you have to assume not. Because otherwise that last go, the kosher Teva koletata, machaichinisba. It sounds, uh, if they're only the ones that were deserving came, then how, what role does the Teva play? So it sounds like more came... Okay. And by the way, um, just bear in mind, I'll just leave you with a little, uh, uh, something to think about. There's a reason why they came. And we'll see later, maybe some other animals didn't come. But I'll explain. Okay. Shall we go on? Then, Pazakav Aleph, there's no Rashi on it, but we'll read it. You will take for yourself all food which will be eaten. And you will gather it to you. And it will be for you and for them as food. Well, really quickly, why is it only payroll, by the way? And not like, well, things well, in the ground as well? Well, I think, uh, I assume payroll is more comprehensive. I don't think it just means apples. I don't think it just means bravery, her aids. It means all food? I think it means all vegetables, all vegetation. Oh, okay. But that's the only thing they could eat. Yeah. Because if you think about it, everything is either vegetation or meat. Products. And meat was not, not allowed. Okay? So the machal... Yeah, although it doesn't use the word payrot here, that's interesting. Rashi used the word payrot, here he uses the word machal, but I think they're the same. 
Then Pasuk Kav Bet. Vayas Noach kachol asher tziva oto elokim kein asa. Noach did all that Hashem or Elohim had commanded him, so he did. Says Rashi, Zer binyan ha-teva. This is the building of the teva. Now, two questions. Number one, why does Rashi need to say that? Number two, um, the instructions that Noach has been given is not just about building the teva. Because from Pasuk Yutet and Kaf and Kaf Aleph, it was about animals and it was about food. So why does Rashi ignore that? And both questions can be answered by comparing this verse with Zion Hay. If you turn over a page or two, you get to Zion Hay. And there it says, Vayas Noach kochol asher tzivahu Hashem. So the next four psukim, Aleph Bet Gimel Dalad, are about bringing the animals and going into the Teva himself. And then it says, And if you look at Rashi there, on Pasuk Hey, Bless you, bless you. This is the coming into the Teva. And when you see the two comments of Rashi, I hope it becomes very clear. Because basically the Torah says, Noach did everything Hashem told him, and it says it twice. So how do we sort this out? I've just mentioned, I don't really want to give the Bible critics too much time, but just another point that they say, oh, look, there's a repetition here. It must be two authors, two stories strung together. Rashi doesn't have that problem. Twice it says, Noach did everything that Hashem commanded him, but it's referring to two completely separate things. So in the first case, in Vav Kaf Bet, it's referring to building the Teva. In the second case, it's Zion Vav, it's refer- sorry, Zayin Hey, it's referring to entering the Teva, which is the next subject. So that, first of all, explains why Rashi has to say anything, because he has to tell you why there's an apparent repetition between Vav Kafbet and Zayin Hey. And secondly, it explains why Rashi in here, in Vav Kafbet, didn't refer to the coming into the Teva, because he sees what we had in Yudtet Kaf and Kaf Aleph as just a sort of rehearsal for what's coming next in Aleph Bet Gimel Dalad. And therefore, it's not really to be concluded, included in Kafbet, where it says, That's referring to the main topic of this conversation between Hashem and Noach, which started with Yudalad, Aselacha Teva, and concluded, I suppose, in Yudzayim. And those four Pesukim, Yudalad, Tetvav, Tetzayim, Yudzayim, are all about building the Teva. And that is what is then summated in Kafbet with Vayaz Noach Kachol Asher Tziva Oto Elokim. Why doesn't the Torah just say Vayiven Noach Teva? Ah, because it's showing his fidelity to what Hashem tells him. He didn't miss out anything. He did it exactly as Hashem said. Okay, if you give instructions to a builder and they build it, does that mean they've followed your instructions exactly? You ever hired builders? Sorry, builders are great people. They're wonderful people. But, but... Every, every professional is tempted to cut corners. So the Torah is telling us that Noah did exactly what Hashem commanded. Right? 300 cubits, not 299 and a half. But, but we can still ask why it's Lemafaya, why it's out of order. Why, why is that out of order? Is why Kaf Bed is after Kaf and Kaf Aleph. There's a the sukkim about okay, so, the table and who gets to So the I think... And again, you're, maybe this will become, you'll, you'll sort of see this when we go forward. Um, 
That's a good question. And I think Rashi perhaps, and I'm just thinking this as I said, as, as you asked me the question, I think maybe Rashi is forcing us to read um, Yudet as the reason for building the Teva rather than a separate instruction. So the focus is building the Teva, uh, starting with Yudalad. Build the Teva. This is how you build it. Length, breadth, width, light, window, etc. And why... And then you are going to use this Teva to collect all the animals. So I think you could read Yutet as this will be the consequence of the thing that I'm talking about, namely building the Teva. So Yutet is not a separate mitzvah, it's just a description of what you're going to do with the Teva. Um, I haven't actually seen anyone say that, but I think that would fit. That, that would answer your question. I think that would fit Rashi. So let's move on to Perak Zion Pasuk Aleph. So as I keep telling you, some see this as a separate story, and it does have a new beginning. And by the way, there's a new name for Hashem, which is the last time I'm going to mention this, the thing the Bible critics get very excited about. Up till now, it's been Elohim talking to Noah, and now it's Hashem talking to Noah. But again, we don't have a problem with that, because Hashem has different names depending on different aspects of his divinity. We know there's Midat Hadin, which is expressed by Elohim, and there's Midat HaRachamim, which is expressed by Hashem. And up till now, the main focus has been, or a focus has been, on destruction of the wicked. Now the focus is on saving the righteous. So it's actually quite appropriate that we switch from, switch from Elohim to Yudke Vavke, Hashem. So Perak Zion Pasuk Aleph says, Vayomer Hashem lenoach ba'ata v'chol beitcha el hateva. Come you and all your household into the teva. Because you I have seen to be righteous before me in this generation. Hashem describes Noah as Sadiq. Does that raise any questions? Well, let's rather than tell you what Rashi's going to say, let's see Rashi say it. Pasak Aleph Rashi Sadik Sadik Tamim. And it didn't say perfect Sadik. Why should it have said perfect tzaddik? That's what it said at the start. Because that's what it said at the start. Because in Perak Vav Pasuk Tet, it said, Noach ish tzaddik tamim haya b'dorotav. So here again, I would say this is a classic, you know, Rashi 101. He sees a subtle difference between two texts. Who is Noach? He's a tzaddik tamim or he's a tzaddik? I mean, they're obviously similar. They're obviously implying the same thing. And yet they're different. So Rashi has to explain why. From here we learn that one says part of the praise of a person in front of them, and all of their uh, praise not in front of them. So when Hashem was speaking, or rather when the Torah was speaking at the beginning of the, of the uh, parasha, it wasn't talking to Noach. It was talking to us, if you like. But Noach wasn't there listening to these words. Now Hashem is speaking directly to Noach. So that is Bafanav. And we apply the rule, which we learn from here, of Mixat Shivcho Bafanav. Okay, that's all Rashi has to say. Let's go on to Pasuk Bet. Mikol Habahema Hatahora Tikach Lacha Shiva Shiva From all animals which are kosher. Now, by the way, um, we use the word kosher uh, a little bit sloppily. Um, so I'm referring to those species which are potentially kosher, if they're treated in the right way and if they, uh, 
uh, are healthy and they're not trefer, which is another word we misuse, and the blood is so salt, etc. And under all those conditions, they become kosher for us to eat. But behemoth tahara means a species of animal which is fit to be kosher. So, mikol behemoth tahara tikach you shall take for yourself shiva shiva, which, as I say, it's not 100% clear if it's seven by seven or seven pairs. But uh, I think most seem to read it as seven pairs. Ish vi ishto, which is a different way of saying male and female. Umina behema ashelotahara, and animals which are not kosher, who he, they eat, shnoim ish vi ishto. That's just two, each uh, male and female. So, uh, any questions? Uh, Rashi doesn't actually address yeah. that. Um, I did hear, and I, it's not Rashi, that Zachor and Akeva is if they're not um, sort of animals that fit, that, 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 that mate and stay together with their partner. And Ishva Ishto is the animals which do stay together, one male and one female. It's quite a nice idea, really. Okay. Uh, any questions on this Pasuk? Well, I think there's two big ones. Number one is, why do we have a difference between the kosher and the non-kosher animals? Um, you might think, well, obviously in the Teva, they want kosher food. But <laughs> that's not true because they weren't Jewish. Well, what else can it be? Why the kosher animals? Why distinction? And number two, well, okay, I'll leave Rashi to say the number two. Says Rashi, Hatahora ha'atida lihiyot torhara le'Yisrael. When it says tahar, which we'll translate as kosher, it means the ones in the future that are going to be kosher for the Jewish people. So that's very interesting that Rashi seems to imply they're not intrinsically kosher as part of the fabric of the creation of the world, that a cow is intrinsically a behema tahara and a pig is a behema tamea. But when the time comes in the future that the Jews are going to be given mitzvot, then they will have that categorization added onto them. Then part of the function of cow will be kosher and part of the function of pig will be non-kosher. But it's atida, it's in the future. So it implies in Noah's time that wasn't the case, but Noah is referencing something that's going to apply in the future. And the next thing to say is, says Rashi, Lamadu shalamad Noah Torah. This teaches us that Noah learnt Torah. Now, there's an interesting little background to this. The Gemara in Zavachim says, um, and I don't know if this is the only opinion, because I didn't check the whole of Gemara Zavachim. I didn't check the whole Gemara. But I did see in Kuf Tet Zayin Amabet um, that one opinion is, how would Noah know what, what are the kosher animals, what are the non-kosher animals? That the table would only let in seven of the kosher animals and wouldn't let in more than two of the non-kosher animals. Now, Rashi doesn't go with that. And I think perhaps because Rashi sort of ruled that out. Where has Rashi ruled that out? Well, it's when they came to it. Like, he kind of let them in when they were like, given the sign. If that makes exactly. Sense. It's, it, Torah, it's just like he's... Well, like, okay. I no, I, I think Rashi can't, won't uh, adopt the view, which is, it's in the Gemara, in the Gemara, it's Rachisto, which is like pretty good, that the Teva gives a green light to the kosher ones and not to the non-kosher ones, because he's already used the green light for something else. According to Rashi, he said in Pasuk Kaf, the Teva will allow in those animals which haven't interbred and will not allow in the animals which have interbred. So I don't think it could really work out that the Teva excludes non-kosher animals and excludes the animals which 
um, haven't interbred. And the table's got one type of categorization, and Rashi's already used that. So how, therefore, is Noah going to know the difference? Answer, he learns Torah. So Hashem tells him, and he occupies himself with learning Torah, to know the simanim, the signs of the kosher animals and the non-kosher animals. So once he knows, then he can distinguish, and he can say two of these and 14 of these. Well, when we talk about, like, firstly the Yavot, but also Noah, learning Torah, knowing Torah, how, how can that be? Like, what's the... Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, I guess, in the way that... It's very complex and much bigger discussion. It is a much bigger discussion. And nobody says Noah kept Torah, by the way. Uh, but there's a part of the... Or at least he knew about kashrut. He knew about kosher and non-kosher animals from Hashem. Uh, that, that, yeah, it doesn't say explicitly, but that must be the case. That Hashem told him, these are, this is how you distinguish between kosher and non-kosher animals. Which, by the way, is not that hard. I mean, there are simani. Oh, yeah. Chew the card and split hooves. It's kosher. Don't split the card and don't have split hooves. Not kosher. Birds are a little bit more complicated. Because um, there isn't really a hard and fast rule. It's knowing which of the species are kosher and which are not. Fish, fins and scales, which always come together. So it's, it's, I would have thought it's not actually that hard. Checking the lungs of kosher, that's a much harder matter. Uh, that's why we need shoftim. And knowing how to do shechita, that's also hard. But the basic idea I don't think is that hard. Um, and or whether it's hard or not, that's just my thought. But either way, Hashem presumably, this is what Rashi is implying, told him, these are the simanim, these are the signs of kosher animals, and you no, go away later. Okay, we'll leave that for another time. See the Maharal. Which is relevant to this question, but it's always good advice. <laughs> always see the Maharal. Anyway, um, then Rashi says, Shiva, Shiva, Kadei Shiyakriv Mehem Korban Baseto, in order to offer a sacrifice from them when he came out. And if you look in um, oh, when he comes out, which is Chet Kaf, you'll see. If you look at Chet Kaf, Noah comes out the Teva. Noach Mizbeach Hashem. Noach built an altar for Hashem. And he took from all of those kosher animals, or we call her and all those kosher birds. And he offered bird offerings on the Mizbeach. And I'll leave what Rashi says on Pasuk Kaf until we get there. We will get there. We're making good progress. And uh, there's something very interesting what he says there, but I'll save it for the, the right time. But this means that the animals, the extra kosher animals, um, were to be sacrificed. Now, by the way, how did he get these kosher animals? Um... Uh, yeah, um, basically, it doesn't say explicitly, but it says implicitly. The kosher ones did not come. He had to go and get them. The shnaim shnaim, or rather the seven seven, didn't come, which implies he had to go and get them. We've already seen that the shnaim shnaim, we saw in Pasuk uh, Kaf, in Vav Kaf, Mikol Yavo'u Elecha, they will all come to you. And we're going to see in Zion Tet, Shnaim Shnaim Ba'u El Noach. The two by two came to Noach, but the seven by seven did not come to Noach, which implies he has to go and get them. Now, it might just be almost a milta de it might almost be a little bit of a, a joke, but it occurs to me that there's a good reason for that. Because the two by two 
Why was it in their interest to come to the Teva? They survived. They survived. The seven by seven, based on what Rashi's just said, was it in their interest to come to the Teva? No, why not? Because they're going to be sacrificed. So maybe that's why we didn't have the interest in coming. Not all of them. Still a better chance of them surviving if they get on the Teva than not. Well, that might be the two. Okay, let's remember. Uh, again, Rashi doesn't say this explicitly. It's a machloket. Did, so you've got 14 kosher animals, 14 of each kosher species. So how many were sacrificed? Does that mean thir- uh, 12 were sacrificed? That seems to be the implication. There is a difference of opinion, but seems to be the implication, 12, which, by the way, matches um, the six of the eight people on the table. <coughs> uh, the implication, if you say that, uh, sorry, yeah, there were eight people on the table. No, so it was two for each of the six, or a pair for each of the six because Ham and Mrs. Ham didn't deserve it, because they weren't so good. Um, anyway, we'll leave that for later. Um, if you say that uh, 12 were sacrificed, two were not sacrificed, so it's worth remembering that the 2 by 2 is part of the 7 by 7 or part of the 14 by 14 right? So let's take species cow. So 14 cows came in. That includes the 2 by 2 and another 12. So it sounds like two came by themselves because all the two by two came by themselves, and the other 12 did not, which would fit what I want to say. The other 12 were precisely those who were going to be sacrificed. So they had no interest in coming to the table, and Noah had to go out and get them. As I say, I'm not sure how serious that is, but it's a nice thought. Okay, um, so Rashi says, uh, where are we? So I keep jumping backwards and forwards, and all right, we're done. So we've done Pasuk Bet, and we'll go on to Pasuk Gimel. And Pasuk Gimel says, Gam me'of ha'shemayim, shiva shiva zachor nekeva lachayot zera al panei kal ha'aretz. Also, from the birds of the heaven, seven by seven, male and female, to stay alive or to, to, give, no, to give forth seed on the face of all the earth. Now, what's missing from this reference to seven by seven? Exactly. So if you look carefully, um, once you see it, it's, it's obvious. In Pasuk Bet, the 7 by 7 was the Bahama Tahara. And the Bahama Asher Lo Tahara is only 2 by 2. So in, very clear for the animals, it's the kosher animals, which are 7 by 7. So in Pasuk Gimel, we hear the birds are 7 by 7, but it doesn't say anything about kosher and non-kosher. So Rashi says there, Game of HaShemayim, Betoharim HaKatuv Medaber. The Pasuk is talking about the kosher ones. And we learn what is not clear from what, or what is not explicit from what is explicit. In other words, we use Pasuk Bet, which is explicit that 7 by 7 is only a reference to the Tahara to help us understand Pasuk Gimel, where the 7 by 7 is not explicitly in reference to the Tahara, but we learn from the Satum, Oh, sorry, from the Mafarish, we learn to the Satum. So Pasuk Gimel must be read in light of Pasuk Bet. By the way, it's important, because otherwise we have a straightforward contradiction with Peruk Val Pasuk Kaf. Because the Behemah is not a straightforward contradiction. Because in Pasuk Yud Tet, Vav Yud Tet, it said two animals. And now it says in Pasuk Zion Bet, 14 animals of the kosher ones. So it's quite clear how you can reconcile the two. However, with the birds, it's not quite so clear because in Vav Kaf it said two by two of the birds. 
And in Zion Gimel, it said 14 of the birds. So that looks like a contradiction. That's why Rashi, for no other reason, uh, has to say that Pasuk Gimel is also saying the 14, the 7 by 7, is of the kosher birds, even though it didn't say explicitly. And therefore, it's not a contradiction with Perak Vav Pasuk Kaf. And it also doesn't in bet here, in Zion bet, which leads the possibility, which I haven't seen anyone discuss this, that the birds that are going to be sacrificed could be intermingling birds. Because after all, they're not going to be saved. Okay, by the way, um, a Ben Noach can offer sacrifices. Uh, and indeed, when Shlomo HaMelech builds the Bet uh, Migdash, he invites all the nations to come and bring sacrifices. But even without, outside the Bet Migdash, that's probably not relevant, but outside the Bet Migdash, a Ben Noach can bring sacrifices. And the rules are much more relaxed for a Ben Noach than for a Jew. For instance, they can use a Bama, which means a private altar outside the Bet Migdash. And the restrictions on the natures of the animals and, and what condition they have to be in don't really apply to a non-Jew offering sacrifices. Is a Ben Noach a non-Jew? Or a non-Jew. Is, okay, is I don't mean literally a Ben Noach. I was wondering if there was a non-Jew. But Noach is a Ben Noach in that respect. Okay? <laughs> and you might have noticed, if you were very observant, when I, uh, we read in Pasuk Perakhet, sorry, Perakhet, uh, Pasuk Kaf, that he offered um, Olot, Burnt offerings. And you know there's an issue with that? Burnt offerings only are male. A lot have to be male. Right? And yet he's offering Zachar and Akeva. But it's okay because he's not Jewish. Okay. okay. And we are... I think I got that right. Pretty sure it's only male. Unless it's only female. But it's definitely one or the other. Okay. We are up to Pasuk Dalad. Ki liyamim od shiva anochi mamtir al haaretz because in seven more days I will cause to rain on the earth arbi'im yom v'arbi'im laila 40 days and 40 nights umachiti et kol hayakum and I will wipe out everything that exists or everything that stands upright asher asiti which I have made mi'al penei ha'adama from on the face of the earth. So, Rashi is interested in ki liyomim od shiva. And just by the way, notice something uh, about Pasuk Yud. If you jump over to Pasuk Yud, after Noah has um, brought in all the animals, and actually after Noah himself has gone into the Teva, Pasuk Yud says, vayhil shiva tayamim. It was after seven days, and the waters of the flood were on the earth. So here in Pasuk Dalad, it's foreshadowed, and there in Pasuk Yud, it happens, there's a seven-day wait. Rashi says, Who was Matushalach or Matushalach? Oldest man. Oldest man ever. How long did he live? 967. Ooh, so close. But wrong. 969. Okay. If he was 967, he'd be a mere youngster. <laughs> and who was he in our story? 
He was Noach Zaidi. He was Noach's grandfather. He had a son called Lemech, and Lemech had a son called Noach. Okay? So he's grandfather. And he probably had a lot of time meeting with his grandfather. Right? Hundreds and hundreds of years they overlapped. And we're about to see exactly how many years they overlapped. So, says Rashi, let's just go on in the Rashi. He says, Shachas HaKadosh Baruch Hu al Hashem was, uh, had mercy or concern for his honor, Mutushelach's honor. Why did Mutushelach deserve honor? That's the word that Rashi added just before what I just read. He doesn't call him Mutushelach, he calls him Mutushelach Hatzadik. Now, we didn't know that before. We didn't know anything about the ten generations, Maram to Noach, except one or two. We didn't know Mutushelach was a Tzadik, but Torah didn't tell us, but Rashi tells us. Because it has to, he has to say that. Because otherwise, why would Hashem wait for the Shiva, for Mutushelach, to be over? For Ikev et Haparanut. And Hashem held back the punishment. So says Rashi, the driving force here is Shachas HaKadosh Baruch al Hashem had mercy for Mutushelach's honor. Then Rashi says, Go and count the years of Mutushelach. And you will see that they finish in the 600th year of the life of Noach. And it's right, as you would expect. If you look at how old Mutushelach was when he had Lemech, and how old Lemech was when he had Noach, and how many years were left of Mutushelach after that, you find out that Noach was born when Mutushelach was 369, which means that Noach, uh, Mutushelach died when Noach was 600. What happened when Noach was 600? The flood came. So it, like, it fits very nicely. Now, interestingly enough, the Gemara makes a similar point, but with two crucial differences. It learns from Pasuk Yud rather than Pasuk Dalet. And it doesn't say that the flood waited in order to give honor to Mutushalach, to so people could like, attend his shiva. That's what it's saying. But rather because of the Hespadim, the eulogies that were said at the shiva, they brought schut, enough schut, enough merit to temporarily stop the flood. Rashi doesn't say that. Rashi doesn't say that at all. Rashi says they waited for the shiva for the honor of Matushalach. And it sounds like the difference is Perik Dalad is, Pasuk Dalad is telling you what's happening and Pasuk Yud is telling you the consequence. Now the consequence is there were seven days of shiva and then the flood came. So the Gemara looks at Pasuk Yud and says, ah, there were seven days of shiva, then the flood came. Now why would that be? Because the seven days somehow postponed the flood. Something happened during those seven days that caused the flood to be postponed. Aye, what happened during those seven days? Hespadim was said, and that brought merit to the world. Rashi doesn't take that approach at all. Rashi sees the problem that Rashi needs to talk about in Pasuk Dalet. And Rashi seems to be focusing on one word. One word that Rashi needs to explain. And the word is Od. Seven more days. That sounds like there's an extra time added on to the previous time allowed to prepare for the flood. How long was allowed to prepare for the flood? 120 years. That was the period Noah was building the Teva. Hashem said, after 120 years, it's all going to go. But old implies it wasn't after 120 years. It was 120 years and seven more days. 
So even before something's happened during those seven days, which will be the perspective of Pasuk Yud, Hashem's already said, I'm going to wait seven more days. Why would Hashem wait seven more days? Ah, that's what Rashi says. If you match up the dates, you find that it corresponds to the death of Mutashelach. So Hashem is waiting seven more days because we've got to sit shiver for Mutashelach. And that is Hashem showing he is chas al-kavodo. And we will stop there. It's 9.30. And you might want to go and have a mark.